Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. glad you could join us this morning. Uh, we're going to be preaching an exciting message this morning about preparation for the end times, preparation for the return of Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you or whatever you use, uh, iPad or Kindle or your phone or whatever, turn with me to uh, 2 Timothy the third chapter, verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. You follow along whatever translation you have. This is Paul talking to his son in the faith, Timothy. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. I've noticed that lately, especially, I mean, it's been like this for a long time, but I've noticed lately these selfie sticks, a lot of self-portraits on Facebook, and people always having something to say about themselves and showing their pictures and this. I mean, it's, uh, it's an indication of people loving themselves, uh, at least to me. People loving their money. It says they'll be boastful and proud scoffing at, ridiculing, and mocking God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So I think this is a pretty stern warning, especially for the end times, the times that we're living in right now. And as you look at the world and what's going on in it, and especially even in our country, it's hard to realize how, I mean, it's, it's not hard to realize how true this passage of Scripture is for the times that we're living in right now. Uh, just watch the news and you'll realize the moral decline uh, that the world is in, and that includes our country. Murders, rapes, kidnapping, assault, child abuse, spouse abuse, theft, fraud, rebellion, protests, riots, civil unrest on uh, every turn. And, and men are constantly thinking and doing evil. And uh, look what the Lord said in the days of Noah, which Jesus actually likened to the times that we're living in right now. In Genesis 6, 5, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And right after that, he, he judged the world. Right after he said that, he judged the earth with a flood, killed every form of life except for Noah and his family, a family of eight, and all of the animals that he ordered into the ark. And that ark was their salvation. That ark saved them from the judgment that was in the world. And Jesus is our modern-day ark. And 
if we're in him, he's going to save us from the judgment that's coming upon this earth that we talked a little bit about last week, the, the day of God's wrath, the day of judgment. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, when the Son of Man returns, when Jesus returns, he said it will be like it was in Noah's day, consistently and totally evil. And this is what we're seeing this day. Our country is in a crisis. The political uh, climate has never been worse. Lawlessness and evil is all around us. Some want even more lawlessness because at a time when they should be defending the police and laws and the Constitution, they're trying to defund the police and our laws and our Constitution. And there's other signs of the end times as well. Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars. Natural disasters like hurricanes and tornadoes, tsunamis, floods, earthquakes, killer bees, mudslides, forest fires, diseases without cure, and unprecedented hunger. We're seeing all these things in the earth. You say, well, they've always been in the earth. We've always seen these things. Yeah, but not in the magnitude that we're seeing them today. You know, world-threatening changes are occurring on a daily basis. The price of everyday necessities keeps going up, especially groceries are completely out of control. Good jobs are hard to find, and then when you find one, it's hard to keep. There's uncertainty in the financial realm of this country, and small businesses are going out of business forever. Some of these businesses that were hurt by this pandemic and the lock-ins and uh, the, the riots and everything that's been going on, they won't come back. They're, it's impossible for a lot of them to come back. So it's getting harder and harder to make ends meet, and things seem to be spinning out of control. And how about the persecution of Christianity? It's worse than it's ever been. It's worse than it was at the time of the Roman Colosseum when they were sending the lions in to uh, eat the Christians and kill the Christians and Television and the news media has become a weapon for non-believing liberals. Non-believing liberals. I'm being careful on how I put this this morning. Uh, but they have an agenda that seems to blaspheme, criticize, disrespect, and lie about every principle of Christianity and everything that God stands for. I'll be careful, but I'll be plain. I have to... Speak the truth this morning. But they defy God's laws and they mock Christianity. They promote everything that God opposes and then calls us names because we won't stand alongside of them in opposition to the laws of God and what we believe in. They hate us because we believe marriage should be between a man and a woman. They call us homophobes because we don't agree with the LGBTQ lifestyle. They call us religious fanatics because we believe in the sanctity of life and we don't believe in the murdering of innocent babies. They call us deplorable because we have a different political opinion than they do. And they call us xenophobic because we want a wall to protect our country and keep out people that don't belong here, gangsters and criminals and, and drug dealers and things of that nature. And I got news for you. Heaven has walls, and everybody's going to be well vetted, and the ones that don't belong there are not going to get in. Amen? They reject God and everything he represents, and they pushed him out of government, a government that was founded upon biblical principles. 
They don't want them in the courts of our land, our schools, or any public place whatsoever. They don't even want his name spoken or written anywhere. They want us to stop using phrases like, in God we trust, and uh, so help me God. And then we wonder why our country's in the condition it is. It's because man thinks that he could do better without God. But I promise you this, there'll come a time when these uh, same people will call on him and he won't be there. Uh, because we told him we didn't want him in our lives. We told him to mind his own business, stay out of our lives. And God warned us with scriptures like these that indicate the closer we get to the return of, the, of Christ, the more challenging the times would become. And he gave us this warning over 2,000 years ago. Paul spoke this to Timothy over 2,000 years ago. He told us perilous times would come, and trust me, they're here now. There's a spirit of iniquity, wickedness, sinfulness, immorality, and lawlessness raging in the streets of our country, and for that matter, in the entire world. But it's just a precursor of future end-time events that's about to take place, and sooner than we think. Politicians and corporations are pandering to and trying to appease lawless behavior. They think it's going to bring about a peaceful end to what's going on in our country right now. But I don't believe that will happen because this is not something that we're dealing with man. This is a spiritual problem that we're dealing with right now. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood or against man, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is who our battle is with. You can talk and negotiate all you want, but you're really dealing with evil spirits, and you will never be able to satisfy their demands because this is not about a political agenda. It's not about two political parties uh, like the media would have us to believe it is. This is about good versus evil, God versus the devil, uh, light versus darkness. And that's what this thing is about. There's nothing political about it. Uh, nothing political, uh, political, reasonable, or even rational for what's going on in our country today and in our streets. Now, we talked last week about the sixth seal in, in the book of Revelation and how it ushers in the day of the Lord or the day of the Lord's wrath or the day of the Lord's judgment when he will finally judge sin on this earth once and for all. And, and this is not just judging one sin. This is judging the sins of mankind since the Garden of Eden, and it's going to all culminate. And Revelation, or the tribulation period that it speaks of and teaches us about, is just the grand finale for wrapping this thing up here on the earth. But <coughs> the day of his wrath is coming when he's going to judge sin. Uh, and hold that thought and listen to what Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. He said, don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. And he is revealed, the one who brings destruction. It's talking about the Antichrist here. And he will eventually exalt himself and defy everything that people call holy and every object of our worship Everything we believe in, everything that we put our faith in, he will stand against. And he will eventually sit in the temple and declare himself to be God. 
That would be in the middle of the, of the tribulation period, and that's when all hell is going to break loose here on earth. But this scripture is talking about a physical person, the Antichrist himself, a physical man. But John tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the earth and has been since the church was born. He says, little children, in 1 John 2, 18, it is the last hour or the end times. And as ye heard that Antichrist cometh, even now have there arisen many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last hour. He's talking about a spirit of the Antichrist. He's not talking about the physical man. How close are we to the advent of the Antichrist? Well, we won't actually know until the church has been uh, raptured or taken out of here, caught away, taken to heaven. And that's when the, the man of perdition, the wicked one, will be revealed physically. He'll be the first horse of the first seal in Revelation that's open. But this scripture is talking about a physical person. And I believe we're close enough that I know for a fact that he is alive on the earth today. And his time is close. He will be introduced before you know it. And anyone that opposes God is operating in the Antichrist spirit. The uh, lawlessness and unrestrained sin, rebellion, persecution of the godly that we're seeing on the earth right now and in our own country is setting the stage for him to make his appearance. But how do we as believers, and this is what's relevant to us today, how do we as believers uh, respond to what's going on in the world? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live in what the Apostle Paul called perilous times? How are we to prepare for the end times? How are we to prepare for the return of Christ? I know one thing for sure. Uh, there is, there's not just one answer to this question. But one thing for sure is we are not to put our head in the sand and pretend nothing is happening. Because it is happening all around us. And we have to use our voices. And we have to stand up for what we believe. And stand up for godly principles. And stand up for Christianity. We can't cower in a corner anymore. We need to speak the word and speak the truth. The world needs to hear it. And there's people in this world that want to hear it. And first of all, I know end time events can be scary. And I'm not trying to scare anyone. Christians shouldn't be afraid to begin with. Uh, because we're looking forward to the blessed hope. And that blessed hope is Jesus Christ coming and taking us out of here. And I'm not talking about an escape theology. I'm talking about wrapping this thing up so we can get into the eternal age. And, uh, where there'll be no more sin and, and uh, death and hurt. But we need to recognize end time events because just like in a race, when you see the finish line, you pick up speed. You ramp up things and you run harder and you, you look for that last minute kick to get you over the finish line first or, or at least get you over the finish line, whatever position you're running. But we don't slow down when we see the finish line. And that's all the end times is. It's the finish line. And when we see it, we see the signs for the end time. We know we're getting close to the finish line. And we should kick it up a little, little bit. Turn it up a notch. Ramp it up. And, you know, end time events just show us we're close. And this is a time that we push harder. Joseph Morrison, he's got the end of days update. He he gives an update on the end of times, uh, signs and, and signals of the end time. And 
He uses an illustration of a quarterback when the two-minute warning sounds. He says the quarterback pays more attention to the clock in the last two minutes than he does the entire game because he knows that uh, the game is almost over, and especially if he's behind, the plays become more critical and intense. So he steps up his game, and he pushes even harder in the last two minutes. And this is what the church needs to do as the end gets closer. We need to recognize that things are getting ready to wrap up, and we need uh, to do everything we can to step up our game and put as many points on the scoreboard as we possible can, possibly can, push as many people across the finish line, pull them across the finish line if we have to. But we need to do something. We need to ramp it up and work harder than we have before. Paul said in our opening scripture, he said, This know also, and that, uh, that in the last days perilous times shall come. And that word know is emphasized here, especially in the Greek language. It, it's, it's a strong word in the Greek, and it actually means to not just have knowledge of something, but to know something definitely and emphatically. In other words, this is something you really need to know. And that's what Paul is indicating. He said, This know. And so he wanted us to really know that, uh, this so we wouldn't be surprised or caught off guard when it happens. Then he goes on to tell us that perilous times would come. And that word perilous in the Greek actually means hurtful, harsh, cruel, ruthless, cutting, wounding, and hard to bear. So based on the true meaning of the word perilous, we should interpret 2 Timothy 3.1 as you must know that in the last days, hurtful, harmful, dangerous, unpredictable, uncontrollable, high-risk periods of time will come. And this is exactly the times that he was talking about, the times that we're living in right now. And we also need to realize that never, nothing ever takes God by surprise. I think I've told you that before. God wasn't surprised when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. He's not surprised when you sin. He's not surprised at anything that's going on in the earth today. And he warned us well in advance that the last days would be high-risk, perilous times. Times that are hard to bear. But he didn't tell us this to scare us. He's telling us this to prepare us. And if you're scared, then that's an indication that you're not prepared. And so you need to get prepared. Uh, so what's the proper response for these things? Number one, we need to go deeper in faith. We need to go deeper in faith than we've ever been before. Ezekiel talked about going into the water ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, and then finally till it was over his head and he was swimming. This is how we have to be in faith. You know, when you're ankle deep in water, or when you're knee deep or even waist deep, even up to your neck, you still have control. But God wants you to get in over your head so you don't have control anymore, and he has all the control. He wants you to get in so deep that you have to rely on him because your feet ain't touching the, the bottom anymore. Jesus, speaking of the last days, he said, when he returns, will he find faith in the earth? Of all the things that he could be looking for, he's looking for faith in the earth because he knows it's going to take faith to get through the times that are about to happen upon this earth. He also said in Luke 21, 26, 
People will be fainting from fear. The King James says their hearts will be failing. And a lot, of, a lot of people interpret that as people having heart attacks. But it's not heart attacks. It means that your spirit will fail. Your spirit will faint away. And he's saying people will be fainting from what? Fear and expectation of the dreadful things coming on the world. He said, for the very powers of heaven shall be shaken. In other words, anything that can be shaken will be shaken. And, and uh, he said the fear will be so bad in the earth and the world shaking so bad. But he also says if your life is built on the rock, the word, we read the parable of the two builders, one built on the rock, one built on sand or, or shifting sand or just the ground itself. But he said the one that built on the rock, his house will stand. As a matter of fact, it won't even be shaken. God's shaking the kingdoms of the earth. But if you're in the kingdom of God, you're in an unshakable kingdom. You don't have to worry about the shaking. But you better be in it. You better be in the ark when the judgment comes. This COVID-19 has shook the world harder than anything we've seen in a long time. I'm not saying it shook it the hardest, but it shook it pretty hard. It's shaking the financial world, the the medical world has upended our peace. It's even removed our sense of safety that we had before this. That's why it's so important that we get in faith instead of fear in times like this. The world has changed, but God hasn't changed. God says, I am, I am the Lord God and I change not. Jesus said, I am the same yesterday and today and forever. He don't change. His word doesn't change. I don't care what we're going through in this world. He's still Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He's still El Shaddai, the God that's more than enough. He's still Jehovah Rapha, our healer. And he's still Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Hallelujah. We have all these things in him. We shouldn't be shaken by what's going on in the earth today. And we have to walk fearlessly in this world. Trusting God like never before and letting his power and glory flow through us like never before. And that's going to take faith to do that. I don't see people doing that right now. And it really grieves me, especially uh, uh, people in our church. I want to see you on top. I want to see everybody on top. I want to see the, uh, the entire universal church on top doing well, prospering advancing the kingdom of God, but especially the church that we're shepherding. This is a time for us to draw closer to God than we've ever drawn before. He said, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. And it's in that order. Don't be sitting around waiting for God to draw near to you. You draw near to him. Hallelujah. It's your move. I see people doing the exact opposite. In other words, I see people pulling away from him. Some even to the point of backsliding altogether. And I'm talking about good Christian people, good Christian men and women. And, and I'm sure you have a good reason for drawing back. A good reason why you quit going to church. I'm sure you have a good reason why you won't pray and read the word like you used to. A good reason why you're mad at the world. I'm sure you have a good reason. At least in your eyes. Maybe someone offended you. Maybe it was even your pastor that said something you didn't like. 
I'm sure you have someone to blame for your current spiritual condition. But let me tell you something. When somebody says something that hurts you or offends you, the first thing you need to do is ask yourself if it's true. And if it's true, you need to grab it by the horn and change it. That's up to you to do. And you know what? It's a, it's a sin. Brother Flint in, in uh, Freeport, Illinois, been preaching on offenses. And, you know, it's a, a sin to offend somebody. It's bad to offend somebody. Jesus said, if you offend one of these little ones, he said, I got a millstone necklace for you to wear, and I'm going to throw you in the ocean with it. That's how he feels about offenses. But how about this? Why don't you consider this? If somebody said something offensive to me, and I didn't let it offend me, I saved them from sinning, didn't I? I kept them from getting a millstone tied around their neck. Why? Did, did they offend me? No, they tried to, but I didn't allow it to happen. So the one that's getting offended is just as guilty as the one that, gets, that does the offense. So when somebody offends you, don't get offended. You'll save them and yourself. Amen. I know that, that might be hard to understand, but you on a little while anyway. But I'm going to tell you something. You better quit listening to the devil because his plan is to isolate as many of you as he can in these last days. He wants to pull you away from the flock just like a wolf would do. He'd wait for a straggler and he'd get the straggler. He don't go into the flock because there's safety in numbers and he knows he's going to get a shepherd's hook over his head. So he waits until one starts getting offended and starts getting upset at somebody in the church or the pastor himself and starts sliding back and pulling away, and then he's going to grab you. And that's what he wants to do in these last days, get you to the place where you start lagging behind so he can just deal with you on a one-on-one -on -one basis, and he will destroy you. Besides, you can blame whoever or whatever you want as to the reason you pulled away from God. But the, the bottom line is that your spiritual condition is your responsibility. It's your mind. It's your will. It's your emotions. It's your spirit. It's your heart. And, God, and it's your mouth. And God expects you to control all of them. They're up to you. He renewed your spirit. But you're the one that has to control everything else, especially your flesh. So if you've drawn or pulled away from God, it's your fault. Yes. Nobody else's. So if you can't get your car carcass to church and you've drifted from God, it's your fault. And you better shake yourself before God shakes you because you ain't going to like his shake. And I'm going to tell you that right now. These are dangerous times we're living in. And you better stay as close to God as you can because he's the only one that can get you through this. You know, I remember when our boys were little, we lived in the suburbs of Chicago. But my wife and I were raised right in the center of the city. And we'd take them into the city from time to time, show them where we used to live and where we used to hang out, the stores we used to go to and stuff. Even took them into the little old lemonade store, got them an Italian lemonade. But we wanted them to see what it was like being raised pole. You know what I mean? We was raised poor, not poor, poor. That's worse than poor. But, but they weren't raised like that. They're living in a nice suburb, and we wanted to show them that life isn't like that all over the world. So we'd take them into the city quite a bit. And, and we'd take them to the museums, the zoo, things like that. And I remember 
want them to be close to us at all times. From the time we got out of the car in the parking lot, we tell them, give me your hand, hold my hand, don't pull away from me, stay by my side, you know. And, and we wanted to keep them close because we wanted to keep them safe. And, and sometimes they try to pull away. And, and, you know, I would like to say that Chris did it more than Mike, but that's not true. Mike was a a puller too. He'd pull away and he'd run to a drinking fountain or he'd run to look over a fence or they, they'd both pull away and run off. And, and we'd snatch them right back and say, don't you pull away from me. You stay with me. And, and you know, we didn't hold their, their hands all the time. We let them go and look at something or go get a drink or something like that. But we had to know that they were doing it. We didn't just let them snatch our hand or, or snatch away from us and go. And, and uh, we might not have been holding their hands, but we had our eye on them. And we were, we were making sure they didn't get into trouble. We made sure that they always had boundaries. We always had restrictions. Why? Because we were controlling parents? No. Uh, it was because we loved them and we knew if they didn't stay close to us, we wouldn't be able to protect them the way that we wanted to. They could get hurt, separated, lost, kidnapped, or even worse. And I just want you to know, God's not controlling either like a lot of people think he is. They think he's just a God that wants to control my life and he wants to just impose all these rules and regulations and do's and don'ts on me. But he's not like that at all. Just because he has boundaries doesn't mean that he's mean and controlling. It means that he loves you enough to say, hold my hand, stay close to me, don't pull away because I can't protect you unless you do. Amen. Amen. I thought you'd get a little more excited than that, but that's all right. Thanks for the two amens out there in the back. But Paul said that it's important that we stay together, especially in these last days. He said in Hebrews 10, 25, this is not the time to pull away. Imagine that. This is not the time to neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. Some people have gotten in the habit of not coming to church anymore. Because that's what he's talking about here. Uh, like Mark Hagen says, there is some assembly required. Hallelujah. He said, in fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day of Christ's return. We're not only supposed to come together in these last days, but we're supposed to come together even more as we see the day approaching. Well, I mean, we get together on Wednesday and Sunday on, uh, normally. Ain't that enough? Apparently not. He said do it even more as you see the day approaching. Maybe he's talking about having a revival where the church is open every night, every day. But he's just saying, don't pull away from me. Stay together, even more as you see the day approaching. And, you know, a lot of people are just satisfied going on a Sunday morning, going on Wednesday and Sunday. But you know what? That's not going to cut it in the end time. They think they get enough of God two days a week or one day a week. But I'm telling you, you better have God in your life every day of the week, especially as we see the times approaching. And uh, you're going to need him. You're going to need God in your life every day. Ecclesiastes 4, 10 through 12 says, If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone falls who is alone, he's in real trouble. Why? Help me, I've fallen and I can't get up. 
He don't have anybody to help him up. And if he don't have one of them necklaces or bracelets, he's going to lay there a long time. But, and then he says in verse 11, Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? And what he's telling us here is it is not good to be alone. And then he says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Well, how about four braids, five braids, six braids? How about a church full of believers? I mean, uh, we all know that some things are better together than they are apart. The Bible is clear on that. And as a matter of fact, the Bible calls us the body of Christ. Now, the nice thing about being a part of the, of the body is that we know that we have a particular part to play in that body. The body needs us. It don't make any difference if you're a little toe or a hand or a leg. The body needs you. Can the body live without you? Probably. But it will walk with a limp or it will be handicapped in some kind of way. It's not intended for us to pull away from the body. He calls us a body because we all belong in that body and we all function as a body. Many members, but one body, Paul says. And as a part of the body, we have different functions to perform, but all of them are equally important. I mean, can you imagine your hand saying it doesn't need the rest of the body, and it severs itself off and leaves the body? Well, the body will survive. It will be handicapped, but it will survive, but that hand will not survive. When that hand gets off on its own, it's going to shrivel up and die without the body. The body may be handicapped, like I said, but it can live without the hand. It can live without a finger, a foot, a leg, an arm. But that part of the body that severed itself, unless it gets reattached, is dead. It's going to die. And God makes it very clear that no Christian can be a lone ranger. No Christian can be an island of himself. None of us is given everything we need to survive in Christ. And apart from the rest of the body, uh, if you think you can, you're wrong. You will not survive. This body is connected spiritually. And the more time you spend away from it, the sicker you will get until it will eventually destroy you spiritually, and then physical death will follow that. We call it backsliding, but actually it's you separating yourself from God. He didn't separate himself from you. He said he'll never leave you or forsake you. So if you're, if you're separated from God, get a clue. You're the one that's separated. So in the last days, God wants his church to step forward and exercise our spiritual authority through the blood, the word, our testimony, and the name of Jesus. That's power right there in the spirit. And he wants the church to bring deliverance, freedom, peace, hope to every person that the devil is trying to destroy. You know, there's a lot of people that are waiting for someone like you to bring them an answer to the chaos that's in their lives right now. In Romans 8, 19, Paul says, For the earnest expectation of the creation. The creation. People are waiting in expectation. For what? 
for the manifestation of the sons of God, for the church to step forward. The creation is waiting for that. They're waiting for some good news. They're waiting for the church to rise up. But fear will block the power and the anointing of God from working and operating in your life. The world is spinning out of control. And it is getting darker. But if you trust in God, if you walk in faith, then you will walk in light and the darkness will have no effect over you. See, you're not without weapons either. God has given us everything we need to be successful in times like this. He, in 2 Peter 1.3, he says, Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. Everything we need to function as a church has already been provided for us. God has already put that in us. This is not a time to hold our peace. This is not a time for the church to mind its own business because this is our business, what's going on in the world. This is a time to share the gospel and tell people how much God loves them and how he died for them. This is a time for us to rise up and intercede for what's going on in the world, interceding for people. Building up the hedge, making up the hedge. And if you don't, God has someone else that will do it. He wants you to do it, but he'll go around you if he has to because he's got a plan and he's going to execute his plan in the earth. In the book of Esther, the Jews are facing extinction like they have so many times in history. Somebody's always trying to annihilate the Jews. And every time God would raise up a deliverer to save them. The Arabs are waiting now to annihilate the Jews. Their enemies live all around them waiting to annihilate the Jews. But apparently they haven't learned anything from history because they should know that they're going to fail. They've never been able to accomplish that, and they never will be able to accomplish that. But in the book of Esther anyway, Esther was a little Jewish handmaiden handmaiden who found favor with the king and actually became one of his wives. Uh, but Esther was afraid to go to the king and intercede for her people, the Jews. Uh, in Esther 4.14, it says, For if you remain silent at this time, Esther, liberation and, and rescue will arise for the Jews from another place. See, God has another way. He wants you to do it, but if you don't, he, he will get it done. And you and your father's house will perish, since you did not help when you had the chance. And who knows whether you have attained royalty for such a time as this, and for this very purpose. In other words, you have been called for a time like this. You're not here by happenstance. You're not here by accident. God has you here in these last days for a reason, for a purpose. And if you're here and you're in this church, or you're in any church, you're in the body of Christ, he has you anointed for these last days, for this last time. And instead of looking upon the things that are coming on this earth, and letting your heart fail, and, your, and letting fear overcome you, come you, you should be saying, Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? How do you want me to bring deliverance to this lost world? What is my assignment? And you won't have time to be afraid. You won't have time to fail. You won't have time to get into fear. Because God will keep you busy till the very end. Hallelujah. And you know, uh, when you come to a place where fear and panic seem to be all around you, 
It's the church's job to rise up. It's the church's job to bring encouragement, peace, a feeling of safety and comfort to that circumstance or situation that God places you in. You're not to freak out with them. He placed you in the midst of that so that you can bring some kind of calm, some, make some kind of sense out of it, bring some peace, bring a sense of safety, bring some encouragement to that situation. But when you're just as messed up as they are and, and freaking out like they are, you can't help them. You need somebody to bail you out. And when someone you know feels like their world is being turned upside down, uh, they're looking at the church for answers. They're looking f at you for answers. And, and the church should bring hope and peace and comfort. I mean, can you make them feel safe when they don't feel safe? Can you, do you have the answers for them? Or do you freak out with them and make them feel even more hopeless? The church is anointed for these times. I'm not talking about the business of the church. I'm not talking about the building or the organization. You're the church. You're just meeting in this building. But you're the church. And, and, and can you rise up and bring that hope and peace and comfort to a level where it helps somebody, makes them feel safe again? Do you have the answers that they need? The church is anointed for these times. You're anointed for these times. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of darkness in so many places and in so many people's lives. And believers are supposed to be a light. We're supposed to be a shining example to the lost, dark world. Jesus said, let your light so shine amongst men that they may see your good works. Is your light shining or you got it under a bushel? Are you hiding? Are you afraid somebody will make fun of you when you stand up and say, I'm a Christian? Or are you letting your light shine? See, in the times that we're living in now, we can't allow fear fear to get in because it will paralyze you. It will intimidate you. It will negate your faith. It will cause you to faint. But you are fully equipped. You are ready, willing, and able to bring deliverance to this lost world. You are equipped to pray with an anointing and intercede with an anointing. And one of the things that the church has failed for a long, long time is to pray the church has failed in this area so many times because half of the things that are going on in this world would have never happened if the church was on the job and the church was praying and interceding and making up the hedge that's been broken down. Uh, you know, Brother Hagen always said this. Uh, there's a lot of things that's going on in the world that we blame everybody else for, but God is going to hold the church accountable because we failed to pray. We failed to intercede. And you know, I said this before, judgment begins at the house of God. Let judgment begin with you. Before you judge the world, you let judgment begin with you. Uh, you know, he said, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. He didn't say if the world will humble themselves and pray. He's talking to the church. He said, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways. The church has got wicked ways. He said, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I heal their land. So God gave us a problem, a promise. He said, if we'll pray, he'll hear us, and then he'll heal our land. When? After we repent. After the church gets themselves right. We ain't got no business judging what's going on in those streets right now. 
We should be praying and interceding and stopping what's going on in the spirit first. Then it will calm down. It's like I said earlier, we're not dealing with flesh and blood. We're, you're, it's a waste of time to negotiate with those people. We need to be negotiating in the heavenly realms, in the spirit realm. We need to be settling this thing in the spirit and then getting God on the scene. And God will move in these situations and calm things down. These people don't want to be calm. They're being driven by spirits. And so that's where it needs to be dealt with, is in the spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But you better get yourself right with God, and you better, you better get closer to him, because there's danger out there. And you better be holding his hand and staying close to his side and, and obeying what he tells you to do, where to go, where not to go, what to say and what not to say. And, and you know, I, I, I try to be careful what I say. I don't want to make this a political agenda. I, that's why I try not to mention Democrats or Republicans or anything. I, I just try to, to mention different points of view. Because, and, and uh, you know, I don't want to be offensive to somebody because I want to respect your views just like I want you to respect my views. And I may not agree with everybody's views, especially when it comes to politics, but I have to respect your right to believe the way you want to. And that's the one thing I have against some people is they trying to force their beliefs down our throat. And I'm not trying to force my beliefs down their throats. But I don't want, I don't want them to come against my beliefs. I want them to respect my beliefs just like I respect theirs, whether they agree with me or not. But we're not, we're not seeing that right now. Amen. And, and like I said, I think it's gone way beyond political points of view and uh, politics and uh, the left and the right and the, the, the liberal and the conservative and the libertarian and this one and that one. It's way beyond that now. It boils down to two things, right and wrong, good and evil, light and dark. And that's all has to be taken care of in the spiritual realm. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the word that's come forth. Lord, I know that there's plenty of things in the Bible that warn us of what's coming upon the earth at this time. And God, I just I, I, I realize more now than I've ever realized before that the church, the true believers, the true church of Jesus Christ, true born-again believers, doesn't have anything to fear in these last days, doesn't have anything to stress out about in these last days. Because we just have to stick with you, stick with the word, stay close to you, hold your hand, and you're going to get us through everything that we're, that's coming upon this earth. And we also realize that we have a job to do, that we need to share the gospel like never before. T starting in Jerusalem, tell our family, tell our friends, tell those that we uh, come upon in, at, at the grocery stores and the the gas stations and everyday life, Lord, and, and make sure that they know that you're a good God, a loving God, and your son died for them, and they don't have to die and go to hell. That's our job in this last day, and, and we're to hold up everything in prayer that's going on in this world and, and not come against it in word and deed, but come against it in the spirit. Break that spirit of rebellion in the name of Jesus, break that spirit of lawlessness and iniquity that's been turned loose upon this earth and especially upon our country. Deal with it in the spirit first, and then we'll see the things come about in the natural and in the flesh. 
So we thank you for each and every one that's out there today, especially in our Facebook audience, Lord. We ask God that you would bless them, be with them, open the eyes of their understanding, help them to see, flood their hearts with light, Lord. And again, it's not about a political agenda. It's simply deciding what's right and what's wrong and then just doing what's right. So we thank you for each and every one in Jesus' name. Give you all the praise and glory. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, thank you, Facebook family, for being with us this morning. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this message. I think it's coming to the place where we need to learn more about the end times and we need to know why we need to be ready to do what God has called us to do. And I may be preaching about these things more in the future. So God bless you. We appreciate you. We will see you next week. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.